0: Exploring the Prophetic is a conversation-based podcast that we wanna invite you on this journey into people's lives in every sphere of society where they're sharing how they've heard God and what's happened as a result. I want to encourage you to come join the conversation. And this season, season three, we're specifically focusing on how when God speaks, there's breakthrough actions that happen that would have never happened if it wasn't for hearing from God in the first place. Before and after moments, what would take 20 years is happening in a second because beautiful believers are obeying the voice of God. Come join the conversation. Come join the narrative. God is speaking to you today. Today on Exploring the Prophetic, I'm so excited to talk to Daniel Garaci, who is leading a relief network. I mean, this is touching places all over the United States, but also in the world. They're in five different countries based in Austin, Texas, and they hear God specifically many times before disaster comes. And he's used supernatural provision to fill them up with resources that they can then export all over the world, especially in their region, but all over the world. And I love that. I love that they're hearing God. And as they're hearing God, it's making a difference. And some of the worst disasters, and they're bringing a relief. Sometimes they're first responders, and they have items that were needed because they heard from God in the first place. Like they actually were touching the pulse of God, the Father, who loves us all, never planned any disaster on this earth since the new covenant. And I love how they see it that way, where they actually go into these places just full of hope full of full of belief full of love for what god wants to do in these regions as they go into him and so he's going to share about how he became the uh, the d- disaster relief of Austin director and founder with his family and how they're going into 185 churches just in the region. And they're, they've they already uh, helped over 41,000 disaster survivors and trained thousands of volunteers. They've donated more than $15 million in rebuilding and recovery. I um, These numbers are staggering for somebody who came out of the house of prayer and just wanted to see his life and his prayer life have practical application in the world around him. So you guys are gonna really enjoy this, especially if you've ever been a victim of a disaster or if you are someone who is saying, I want to see God move in the midst of these things. like We don't know why disasters happen. We can't quantify it all. Sometimes when people try to even prophetically, they actually come into a place of such severe imbalance because they're not looking at all sides of the situation. But instead of quantifying it, Daniel and his team are going in and doing something real. They're showing God's love by bringing relief. So come join us in the conversation. We do this live in Austin, Texas in front of a group of his fellow Austinites and and we had an incredible event there with them. I think you're gonna really enjoy the crowd, the live experience, join the conversation. I wanna invite you to come watch our brand new YouTube show, which is a weekly show called Your Prophetic Journey, with me, yours truly, Sean Bowles. And I'm gonna be sharing my own personal stories, my friends' stories, they'll jump on with me through video. And also we're gonna be sharing about what to do with certain encounters you've had. So you have prototypes for prototype faith to be birthed in you for the encounter that God wants to do in you and through you. I promise you this is gonna be such a fun show. We're gonna have such a good time together. You can watch the first episode now. Go to our YouTube channel. Please subscribe and get notifications to our YouTube channel at Bulls Ministries on YouTube. Thanks so much. Daniel Tracy is here. He's the executive director and ADRN founder. He is nearly a lifelong Austinite. Is that how you say it? Austinite? I love that. Austinites. We're Angelinos. You guys are Austinites. If we were in here, we'd be... Angelino Austinites, which is great if we were LA. Okay, Daniel founded the Austin Disaster Relief Network in March of 2009, and since then it's grown to a network of more than 190 churches, assisted more than 42,000 disaster survivors, and trained thousands of volunteers, and donated more than 15.5 million in rebuilding and recovery. Uh, We're going to talk a lot more about this. I will do a full Just for those of you who know the format, I will do a full description later on. But that gives you enough of a view before he shares some of it himself about what he does. But let's welcome Daniel here tonight. (laughs) I'm so excited about this conversation because here you are doing disaster relief, even though you have this... You know, you've had these spiritual encounters with God. You do ministry stuff. You have a house of prayer right in the center where you do disaster relief. I mean, this is wild. How did you get into this?
1: Prior to Ran, I was actually working on a healthy fast food concept. By the way, in, any and everyone I know in disaster relief never had it in their plans. It was just <laughs> <I'm sure laughs> one of those uh, Jehovah sneaky things. Exactly. Yeah, and so we, I was. The deal didn't work out. Laid it down, and right at that time, we had a word saying it was time to launch a word that I had had four years prior to that. So, so you went after it. Now after. I have
0: a background. I I call it flirting with disaster relief because during like Katrina time and the Haiti earthquakes and these kinds of things, I went all over the place. And I, I was at Katrina First responder. I think I was there for five days a month for the first 10 months it happened. And we were doing all kinds of things. I was learning a lot. It's just a lot of work. You guys just worked so hard. And it's a lot of thankless work. I mean, the people themselves are very thankful. But, I mean, the the day after day is grueling, depending on what kind of disaster it is and whatever it is. And even what you have to learn to just be qualified and that where you have to sleep. Like, we would sleep in these open rooms where there's, like, the guys over here and the girls over here. And it wasn't very comfortable. And wasn't very – you know, it's it's a hard life. It's a hard job. But in all this, where you've been sent into this, I believe, by God, like this has been a God thing, kind of take us on the journey of how – He has positioned you in this. I mean, it's grown so fast, so many things. I mean, it's 10 years, but that's very quickly for this kind of impact. 190 churches involved. Take us on that journey a little bit as far as how did that happen, and how did you aim at the church to to be the first responders in this context?
1: You know, it's a great question. In 2005, originally, I was selling oil and gas, and I had made it the biggest sell in my life. It allowed me to Take off the entire month when Katrina happened. And it was in the context of helping survivors in, during Katrina that the vision came. Wow. Um, I was on the phone with a pastor, wrote it on a napkin. I'm famous for using napkins a lot. And that ended up being the, the entire vision for what we're doing today.
0: Oh, my. So 2005.
1: 2005. So it didn't start it to 2009. But the Lord had me just sit on it. And, and pray. So a lot of prayer went behind it wow. until the launch in 2009.
0: What did your wife think when you went from business to say, we're going to do disaster relief? Like that's a big transition.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you know, the Lord had prepared us. We had yeah. gone through a Joseph trial through the healthy fast food concept. He broke us. You know, we, we were out of money at that point. He said, it's time to launch. Of course, we had gone through that enough yeah. to where we were used to starting something with nothing, but depending completely on God to, to come through.
0: Wow. So there's already a faith journey in operation the whole time. Yes. Yes. I mean, I guess if you're an entrepreneur, especially in a healthy fast food concept, which there isn't very many of those, even <laughs> no, now, as of today, there's, <laughs> there's more that are coming, but there's not as many as we need. But I mean, that's pretty entrepreneurial for that time period. And so the fact that you were already in faith for something like that, and then, and then this came up... I. I guess I could understand the progression, but there has been these moments. Share about, I think one of them was, and I might be wrong as far as the order of this, but going to the One Thing Conference in Kansas City, that they had their famous One Thing Conferences they would do every year. You went to one of these, and it was a real pivotal point for you guys.
1: Yeah, it was. Prior to year in, you know, in my forming years, one of the things that the Lord had me go to are the One Thing Conferences. I've been attending them since 2001. And I'm coming back. I mean, I'm on fire for the Lord. I'm listening to the CDs right suddenly i get caught at a toll road toll booth and back in those days you had to have cash you know credit cards weren't taken at the toll booth and i had this weird lady that would not allow me to go through she says <laughs> you have to pay and i said i don't have money she goes do you know anyone in oklahoma this is oklahoma and i said i don't she goes you're going to have to pull over I, I i didn't know what to do but i said ma'am i'm a christian I said, will you allow me to go through and allow me to pay you back? I, I promise I'll pay you back. She, goes, she looks around. She goes, well, I'm not supposed to do this, but and she wrote me an IOU. Now, I, I, I leave that spot and suddenly, if you remember the old TDK commercials where you're a man sitting in a leather chair and he hits the tape player and just this wind blows him back, suddenly the voice of God speaks to me internally and says, if you ever use my name to get out of trouble, you'll surely die. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, it was the loudest internal voice. I'm laughing, internal but I shouldn't voice. Be. No, I'm, you, I'm I'm actually happy that so it so God. It's like, okay. For, for the strong-willed temperaments, God sometimes has to deal with you in a way where, you know, I'd never again. It was branded into me. But, boy, I needed that for what I do today yeah. because... I came from a salesman background, and you use, and as a salesman in the world, you use everything you can to, you know, this manipulation thing to get something, right? And I was already starting to use God's name, and boy, I mean, he was right. I I would not be here today.
0: I guess bringing you to that story, it didn't exactly relate, but it set a foundation for how you hear from God, where you took him very seriously, which applies so strongly because you guys started on this journey of actually doing the relief. What was the first big project you took on?
1: Well, first big one was uh, Bashop Fire, 1,709 homes burned down. I should say this to set this up because this is really cool. Prior to that, the city of Austin had told us that, you know, for f- between 2005 and 2008, Austin had four hurricanes impact oh the, the, the coast, and those evacuees came to Austin, 44,000. Wow. And before all this happened, a handful of pastors went into the convention center when Katrina sent about 6,000 survivors into our city, and they said, you're here because of your sin. And because of that, the church was not allowed into any of the uh, shelters. And then Rita hit, 18,000 people came, then Gustav hit another 10,000, then Ike hit. And so 44,000 people, the church was not effective. Now, rolling back to 2011, you know, I'm sitting in, in a, with a policeman. He's trying to decide whether we're going to lead the entire emotional, spiritual care and meet the survivors when they're first allowed oh, in wow. to their homes. But when they see it, they wanted somebody there to be there for them. And so he says, you better not mess this up. And he gives us the authority. It was completely of God. But, but suddenly they called it off because on the intercom of the police car, they needed face masks. And prior to this, God had given me 23,000 face masks oh, uh, wow. two months prior. And I said, sir, before you cancel, I think I can solve your problem. He says, hold on, chief. And that was the chief on, on the radio because we were driving around. And he says, what do you have? I said, I can give you up to 23,000. Tell me what you need. And because of that, so I mentioned to you in the back, God makes you look like you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, This is the kind of stuff he sets you up. So we don't were we able to
0: have twenty three thousand face masks in the <laughs> <Yeah>. garage. <laughs> we oh, were able amazing. to provide
1: the whole entire relief effort with the face masks they need so the survivors could go in. But this time we were escorted in by police. A long line of our volunteers, Christian volunteers, escorted in, were positioned in before anyone was allowed into their homes. We were there when they fell apart and they saw their home for the first time. And it was just one of the greatest examples of the Christian church that were trained in advance, saying, we're going to own this mountain. And, And because of that, multitudes of people saw the light of Christ. Yay, God. Yay, God. For real. That's amazing. So... You went from there and
0: you began to train churches to be first responders. You began to train churches on what disaster relief is and what it's not. And a lot of times when you think of disaster relief, if you've never done it before, I mean, I thought growing up, I mean, you know, we were all like, turn and burn, it's all going to burn, everyone's going to be in disaster, you know? So like, you're just, you have this like terrible mentality in the Pentecostal Church growing up about, and so I actually ran towards disasters and war zones and conflict zones to see what God could do. So we were sending containers of food and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And what we would find is that initially when we would train pastors or churches that there was some level of unrealistic expectation or even suspicion. And when they learned what they could do, it it demystified it so fast and empowered them so fast that they never not were involved with it again. That's what we found in LA. So tell us about like just working with churches. And 190 churches in just this region, that's probably never happened before for any other cause.
1: Yeah, it's what's amazing, Sean, is that not only is it 190 churches, but we're able to train and equip all of their people. They've given us the keys to the house, so to speak, wow. that the, the trust to equip them spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Wow. I mean, we teach how to walk in the spirit in times of disaster. Uh, from a spiritual perspective, we have five spiritual trainings. Because, you know, as you know, I mean, you know, the best training you need of all trainings is to be... Equipped spiritually, but the emotional and physical side is just as important. And uh, you know, we love spontaneous volunteers, but I love spirit filled, trained volunteers, the highest level volunteer you can find. And just to kind of share something with you, a word that the Lord has put on my heart, you know, Daniel had in the Bible so much favor with Nebuchadnezzar, along with Mishach, Shaddach, and Abednego, because they learned the language of the Chaldeans, yeah. they learned the literature. And what we're doing is we're equipping the body of Christ to understand how the government speaks in times of disaster. They want us to be trained in their language. But because of that, we have unprecedented favor like Daniel yeah. did when suddenly you know, all of them were being killed because they couldn't interpret the dream. But Daniel gets, like Esther, complete open door with Absolutely. Nebuchadnezzar because why? He understood he had favor. He was 10 times better in what he did. And that's what we're trying to position the church. We want them to come to a place where there's no reason, no way that they would ever not allow us in. And and if I can add one more thing here is the, the main guy that runs the whole disaster response for the city of Austin, he's persecuted quite a bit by the church being involved in disaster relief at the level that we're allowed in. And he said to these people, he says, until somebody better shows up, these are the people we're using. <laughs>
0: Woo. That's how it should be. So so take us on a couple of the different projects you've done besides the one you just mentioned. You guys have fed and brought supplies into city the city that had a bunch of fires. You've had Take us on some of those.
1: Okay, so Hurricane Harvey was probably what I would call the Super Bowl of all relief responses. Okay. I mean, uh, when I say that it was the most amazing response, we res- we deployed over 6,700 volunteers. Wow. Yep. the The city of Austin, the mayor, asked me if we would... The, the greater Austin church would become the main distribution center for the entire city when, when Harvey hit because they didn't want Austinites to drive down to, to all these cities and bombard them with just stuff. And, you know, when you do a big drive of supplies, get ready because the clothes are coming. <laughs> so we had eight warehouses. By the way, our father's in the warehouse business. Did yes, you know that? He, yes, <laughs> he can get you anything. Awesome. So yeah. it's amazing. I, I don't have to own a warehouse, but they come when they, they come. Wow. Again, he makes you look like you know what you're doing. So so the warehouses, the mayor makes this video. I had no idea he'd made of how to make these kits that we had asked the city of Austin. We needed 7,000. He made a video. It went viral. Next thing you know, from around the nation, we've got these care kits wow. coming. We ended up getting 11,000 of them. We, we, we <laughs> so I think all the supplies in the city were gone of shampoo and you couldn't for a week or so. You can't go to but Target and find We anything. ended up shipping 203 semis of goods and supplies oh in about God a two-month gosh. period to 32 cities. And this is the church, and we all those supplies went right into the heart of the areas where most hit, but they went into the churches of the community, so that way their church was the hero in this disaster. It set the church up in these cities for where the people had to go to the church in order to get supplies and goods. And I was just amazing how God set that up. Because prior to Harvey, we only shipped out two semis. Oh, wow. And, you know, and, and I told you in the back that we tend to know when disasters are about to strike. The Lord speaks to us in advance. And right before Harvey, we start noticing a lot of 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 volunteers that said, hey, I can work 40 hours a week for you if you like. And suddenly all these supplies were starting to come in. And we're like, all right, something's about to happen. We can feel it. And that's usually how it goes. And then boom. But that way we were ready in advance. uh, Yeah, you said you were ready about 30 days in advance for Harvey. Now that was Memorial. That was October floods. So there was one flood that 2013, we had the big floods on October on Halloween. We just called October floods. (laughs) But 30 days prior to that disaster, I hear the Lord tell me, get ready. You have 30 days. And so Oof. I, we buy supplies, we buy generators, we buy all this stuff, believing that, you know, we heard from the Lord. And on the 31st day, October floods hit, Wow! Uh, and we heard the news while we were praying that morning, my my associate director and I in a prayer room, worshiping, and we got the call from Red Cross going, we need you.
0: Wow. I'm just thinking about how in movies and television, and even in some popular culture that Christians are villainized as the ones who... Take during times of great need, not give. Yeah. And we've been we've been kind of been given this image of how we are as as religious people are takers and whatever. And what you're doing, it, it just feels so significant that God, actually, instead of the the doomsday prophets rising up, God's actually telling beautiful Christian people like you, hey, something's gonna come. And I hate this kind of stuff. Like I hate yeah. disaster. Go and help people. Yeah. You know, and, and I know that. Amen. The world, we reap and we sow, you know, all kinds of stuff. but And it, people don't have an image of a loving God who actually cares about these things. I remember being in Katrina with the state senators from Louisiana and Atlanta, and we're all in a white van driving through the Ninth Ward two months after it been destroyed, and they're weeping. They've just never wow. seen anything like it. Yeah. And one of them was really funny. She made a lot of jokes, which is good. But she said she asked the president's advisor who was in charge of that particular issue, who is in the van with us? What are we gonna What are we gonna do about this? And he said, "The only good responders so far have been Christians, Amen. churches." And I said, "Wait, say that again." <laughs> the only good responders so far for months have been Christians. And I said, "So we're we're often seen as first responders in the whole world. Like America's seen as the big yeah. brother of the whole world. We respond, but it's really the Christian response." And I feel like what you're doing is you're actually giving the church an empowered role to help guide that response. And I think it's, it's not just for Austin, it's for everywhere. Yes. So I'm really excited about what you're doing, but talk about that a little bit because God should, and him showing you sometimes that disaster is going to get t- take place. How is that? I mean, it's such a contradiction, but talk about that theologically a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the word says in Psalm one fifteen sixteen 16, the heavens and the earth are the Lord, but the earth, he gave it over to man and what do we do with the earth? <laughs> yeah, you know, and and prior to to Adam and Eve, there was their fall. There was no disasters, right? There was no tornadoes, hurricanes, storms, etc. But unfortunately, we have evil people in this world doing evil things and making wrong things, or doing wrong things with our environment, etc. So it impacts our bodies to our livelihood to our you know we see to disasters, nature, to right? Yeah. You know, because of sin of of man. and so. You know, here's the good news. I, I ask myself, can Satan ever give mercy? Can he ever give compassion? Can he ever give love? So, the moment you see love, it's God. The moment you see mercy, it's God. He's the first responder, the last responder, and wow. he never leaves. Wow. You know, so when we saw the cross at on nine eleven, you know, there in the rubble, you know, he's showing us that he was there. I mean what if he wasn't there? The word says, without his mercy, we would all be consumed. See, if it wasn't for his mercy, they would have all been consumed, because the devil didn't have like a good day where he saved some. You know, so if you think about it that way, that direction, so that's just how God is. But you know what? The truth is, There are bad people doing bad things. There is a story that one of our friends here I'll share. This is a 9-11 story that a man went with the intention to blow up a building. He had a limo, I believe, filled with dynamite, and the Lord showed up in his limo. And said, "Don't do it." Wow. And, and he did not do it. He turned himself in, and, and he's in under the protection program. But he gave sensitive information about the, the the people behind the scene that was valuable. But now this man's in in a house of prayer, in a in a you know, giving his life to Jesus because he met wow. Jesus. But see, that was one time that someone did turn. But I can't imagine how the Lord tries. I can only imagine even the worst people to not yeah. do it, right, to not go through it. I mean, yeah. he's always there, uh, but he cannot force us, right? He cannot grab our hand and say don't and pull us out. So anyway, that's just my my theology. <laughs> no, I, I love that because I think, I think God is constantly trying to get to our hearts. And I think
0: of, you know, we have friends who were in Colorado, and the Columbine shooters came to yeah. their youth group three weeks before they went to the shooting. Wow. And some of the, the youth pastors prophesied over him, and they cried, and they still shot. Wow. So there's these moments where God's trying to apply his mercy and draw people yes. in. They came to the group. They didn't go to them. They came to the group. I just think there's all these moments in time that when we get to see from heaven. Like, if you like Netflix, you're going to love heaven. You'll just, like, press stories of God, you know. Like, what happened then? Why did this happen, you know? It's going to be so awesome. But take us into, like, this is the macro. Take us into a moment and you have a minute to think about if you need to. A moment where God just showed up on site, on the scene. Just one of those impressionable, or a couple of those impressionable moments where you see God in disaster you've never seen Him that way anywhere else.
1: I'm going to bring up a story in Denham Springs, the great Louisiana flood in 2016. They had three feet of rain. We were there and storms were just still in the air. It just felt so demonic. You know, some of these areas, the weather patterns, it just feels unnatural, evil, but you know, we've learned a lot about God. He's the Lord over the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And and I believe the position of the church is no longer to sit and wait and allow the storms to happen. We are to pray against the storms yes. and declare peace into the storm. So, so we began to pray over the storms and we began to see the storms split literally around us. And not one, we, we deployed to 2,400 homes. We went door to door, and not a single volunteer was rained on. Even though the oh rain was gosh. all around us, it never rained on our people. And, and for the first time, of course, we're a network of churches, so we have Baptists, United Methodists. I mean, you name it, right? And they were just seeing this and looking at their phone and how the storm split around them. So we have a ministry now that's uh, through our Hope prayer room to pray when disasters Begin to be announced on the news. We start setting off alerts in That's the amazing. prayer teams. We got a eight to nine hundred prayer team, and then we have the whole prayer room, and then we have a senior prayer team. Some of those senior prayer leaders are here. That's awesome. And I'm telling you, I have seen since 2016 we started this. We've not seen a major disaster hit the greater Austin area since then. I have all the newspaper articles of Austin spared again, Austin spared again. I mean, one where the forecaster said it actually skipped over Austin, and he was kind of dumbfounded by it. uh, So we've kept those. But this is the position of the church. If we're to be a city of refuge, it's what our city is called, a city of refuge. That I believe that's part of the strategy for when, you know, as we get closer to the Lord's return and he's raising up other cities of refuge. And because we're in our natural man, we tend to run while we actually wait to see kind of what happens. Right. And it's like, why do we do that? Like, why do we yeah. not just believe that this? You know the one in Revelations four and five. This is the God that that is the Christ, the Son of the Living God. He can stop these storms through the faith of His saints.
0: This is so good. I'll say this because this might help you guys. Because he's a spiritual hero to me. When we first moved to LA, we sat down with the fire chief who's in charge of all the disaster planning of LA, and they have a multi seven million dollar plan for just basic disasters, and they have a bigger plan for terrorism or whatever. And he was telling us that he couldn't get churches involved. And I was so sad. So he said, what do you need us to do? How can we help you? But it was really interesting because while we were meeting with him, he was a Christian, but he was a nominal Christian in the sense of like he hadn't been going to church, but he really believed in God. While we were meeting with him, he said, you know, I just feel like everyone's waiting for the big one. And I even have a fear that a big one might happen. But I just think if we pray... And this is the fire chief who's not going to church. And I'm having prophets from the East Coast prophesying in that year that we were about to hit a big earthquake, that there's no way to repent of it. Everyone should move away. Disaster's coming. And I'm calling them. They're my friends. I'm calling them going, I live here we believe we can pray. And if it does happen, we believe we need to be here to help. Yeah. Like somebody's got to be there in the disaster yeah. to help. I mean, like I have friends who were in Haiti during the earthquake and they they were just there on vacation and they were nurses and doctors and they were like, this is the most traumatizing thing we've ever been to, but we're glad that God had us here at this time. Although we hijacked our vacation, he owes us one. We're so glad we're here. Someone of them were there for like a year. And I just feel like, I feel like Christian's, we should have that weird thing inside of us where all hell's breaking loose and we run with heaven. You know, like, I feel like we should have that. And I love that about you because I can feel that it's, it's not just a thought. It's an organization you've built around that. And I'm just so happy to know you. I'm just so proud to know you because it's so critical what you're doing. And I really do believe that it's a prototype. And I know you've already trained some other cities on this, but I really do believe it's a prototype and anything we can do to support you, I want people to know your website, because there's going to be a lot of people listening online. I want people to know your website and how to get involved and
1: what they can do for you right now. Sure. It's www.adrn.org. And we are, you know, if, if you're somebody listening to this on the podcast, you can go to our website, find out how you can get involved. Right now we're in Beaumont, as we speak, uh, deploying to the disaster that uh, was caused by Imelda, dep- top- tropical depression Imelda, which almost rained nearly four feet of water wow. uh, in this community. And 9,000 homes have been impacted in the greater Beaumont area. So it's a great devastation. We actually need a lot of volunteers because the news has not been promoted it all. It's one of the worst media uh, representations yeah. we've seen because of the whole Trump yeah. scenarios that are going on right now. So that's one way to get involved and, and become a volunteer and take our training online. You can find out that information online. Yeah.
0: And I will say this for those of you who are wondering, there's a lot of tragedies happening over the last 24 months that weren't reported. And I talked to a newscaster a friend of mine who I met through CBN, and he said the reason why is because we have now fatigue. It's uh, We have disaster fatigue, and so they're actually hiding it from us because it's caused too much trauma, and people aren't taking any of them seriously anymore. So if they pull some back, when a new one comes, people will pay attention. That is not a Christian response. <laughs> that is not God's. We Because we could we, we be first responders at least in prayer, yeah. you know, if not Amen. action, prayer. I and mean, We can do some – everybody can do something. What's a great way, and I'm going to end with this, what's a great way that maybe it is prayer because you lead prayer too, what's a great way when you hear a disaster the day it's breaking out, what is a way you can pray into it that's effective?
1: You know, I think first and foremost that that the church in that community would rise up and come together. That's what we do. We go there to try to pull the churches together, form a new network. It's what we're doing in Beaumont next Thursday. So, So number one, because when the church, Psalm 133 says, when brethren dwell together in unity, it commands a blessing. So we always think the greatest strategy is really not the disaster responses. How do we get them there? How do we invoke the presence of God? If we can get men and women to begin to pray and seek his face, humble himself, right? Second Chronicles 7.14. I mean, you know, the disasters are bigger than ever now. But when God shows up, they're not bigger than him. And we've seen miraculous recoveries because the church said, we're going to do this together. And God will honor it when we honor him. That would be one of the probably the greatest ways that you could pray. The other would that, that the body of Christ would rise up and respond, that we would become the Good Samaritans. We would walk with these families until they're back on their feet because this is where the greatest, uh, in, in terms of uh, where we see multitudes coming into the kingdom, is when the church walks with these families. And that's why we get the churches together, is that ultimately we can sponsor these families, walk with them, because typically in these areas it's about 60 to 68% unbelievers that have been impacted by Uh, this disaster. And when, you know, when you lose everything, you know, you're humble, right? God gives grace to the humble. So we're the vehicle for grace to go through. We're the conduit. And so if we're not there, you know, I'm telling you the devil is there and he's telling them this was an act of God. He's telling them that, you know, give up and, and, you know, it's just, there's no hope. And so if the church is not there, I mean, that's a problem, right? And so that's why we do what we do.
0: Okay. One last question. I know the answer to it, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this one for you
1: guys. Who should have disaster supplies at their house? Who should have disaster response supplies? Well, we actually ask all of our volunteers to be ready because when disaster strikes, sometimes we lose, you know, our electricity, et cetera. And what that does is that will take you out of responding, so that way you have to take care of your family and, and make sure their their needs are met. So, But if you are prepared in advance, then you're able to go out and respond. FEMA put out a report
0: that we should all not only have supplies at each of our house and every American's house, but we should have supplies for up to seven more people for two weeks. The reason why is because only two to five percent of all of Americans responding to having supplies collected. And the average city, if there's a disaster on a major level, like if there was another terrorist attack or roads are blocked in any way, it could be what happened in Florida when there's no gas, there's people who are trying to get generators and use generators to live, especially if it's during a time of extreme cold or heat or whatever, you need supplies. And so I just want to encourage everyone who's listening to get the right kind of supplies. And I'm sure you guys have some information about that on your website as yeah, well.
1: Yeah, on our website, there's a program called Preparedness Peace. Uh, we worked with these uh, this, these couples that are experts in it. They put a six-week kind of how to prepare, and you can actually make it into a Bible study. It's very spiritual. Awesome. This is not doomsday through. prepping. This is just no. being
0: prepared. Yeah, big We're time. We're not doom
1: preppers. This is just being <laughs> generally prepared. You know, we want to be the ones that are giving the handout, not the ones that need the handout. That's the position of Joseph. So you have the position of Daniel, but you also have the position of Joseph. So that way, and and with that, God can multiply, right? Because we're a people of faith, and there's many stories I can tell you. (laughs) We're out of time, but I've seen Jehovah do that also. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, we'll have a part two. Thank you so
0: much for being on today. Thank you. Let's thank him. This is just awesome. I love that God cares about disaster relief, yes. Amen. Thank you. Have you been enjoying Exploring the Prophetic? Well, you can enjoy it even more by becoming a partner with Bulls Ministries. Everything we're doing with our podcast is made possible by our incredible partners and financial contributors to our ministry. They are helping us to bring the equipment, to upgrade everything we're doing, to have the time and space to do this. It's a free offering we give to you. Maybe you're listening in your shower. Maybe you're listening in your car, your workout. Well, I want to continue to do this. I'm going to continue to have these incredible guests tell their prophetic process of how God's spoken to them. So you can get a vision of how God speaks to you. And also so that other people all around the world can have this resource at their fingertips from their smart device, their computer their YouTube, whatever they have, that they will have this, this incredible resource. So go on the partnership journey with us as a partner. You're going to receive an email and communication every month from us. We resource you with a partnership page that has literally dozens and dozens of messages that only of our partners have. We also have partnership contribution back to you where we actually give resources. You guys get stuff first. Usually at Christmas time, we have a new book come out. You guys get it before everybody else. Then you get it signed. I love our partnership program. I love being on a journey with our partners because they are some of our, they're our team, they're our family. They're the ones who are contributing to make this happen. Come be a partner today. Go to bowlsministries.com under giving and membership and you will become a partner.